This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 9 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life, exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Esberg, Denmark, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi there, Heather. How are you this week? I'm doing great. Can't complain at all. Midsummer here. It's just a beautiful, beautiful time of the year for us. And um, things are going well. Can't Good. complain at all. How about you? Yeah, things are going well. We've got uh, North American Young Riders coming up this week in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky at the Horse Park. So a busy week here, but uh, we've also got a pretty fun show this week too. Tell us uh, tell us what we've got in on, in store this week uh, on the show, Heather. Well, we're going to hear from a really uh, fantastic woman, Marlene Whitaker, who has her own uh, free, uh, musical freestyle company called Freestyle Music. Um, what's it called? Um, oh. Custom Freestyle, is it? Maybe we should. Custom Freestyle, yes, I should know. She's a, I'm a client of hers, but it's been a few years. Custom Freestyles, and um, she does super, super work for top riders in the U.S. and maybe some international riders, too. And, um, yeah, so we're going to hear from her and um, hear about a lot about what she does, and that's going to be exciting. Yes, that should be fun because, you know, there's so, so much involved with uh creating a freestyle program that uh, I think would be a, a fascinating insight to hear what Marlene has to say. Um, so uh, so you, you've got, you're right in the height of summer. So what, how warm is it over there right now, Heather? Well, let's see if I check on my little dashboard here. I think it says um, uh, 67 degrees right now, and we're about 55 at night, and that's pretty pretty consistent throughout the whole month of July. And and maybe we get up into the 70s. Um, so it's it's really beautiful. And the sun here, for some reason, is just, or the sky is bluer. The air is really crisp. You don't get any sort of haze and beautiful cloudscapes. It's just a, a magical place to be in the summer. I'm, I'm so lucky to live here right now. I'm waiting for that invitation. I'll be, uh, I'll be over there in a heartbeat. <laughs> But it's a standing invitation. Gee, I, maybe I didn't let you know that. It's a standing invitation. You need to come visit. It's, it's, my mother was just here for nine days, and she hated to leave. She left this morning, and uh, she just hated leaving. It was she. She loved it too. Oh well, what a contrast for her because she lives in Kansas, right? Yes, she does. I think she yeah. left the hundred degree temperatures to come here. But since she's been here, I think it, it dropped down to sort of reasonable, just below ninety there now. So at least it won't be. Super shocking for her to return. Oh. Well, you mentioned the landscapes, the seascapes. You really have beautiful scenery there. And I know that you have um, two beautiful dogs that you go walking out on the, on the beaches there. Tell us about those two dogs because they look really awesome. And uh, I bet they love the running on the beaches. 
Well, they do. They're whippets. They're kind of, it's a it's a sighthound. If you don't know what whippets are, they're um, a little smaller than a greyhound. They run about 35 miles an hour. So when they do run, you better know where they're going, where you're going to catch them. <laughs> they don't try to run away from me, but they, they, they race each other as just pure entertainment. And, of course, if there's um, anything worth chasing, like a, a rodent or a bird that maybe they think they can catch, they are gone in a split second. So they're really, really fast, um, but they're super dogs. They, um, they're real easy in the house and, you know, quiet, and there's no grooming involved. They don't stink. <laughs> they barely bark. Um, so they're my, they're my third and fourth whippets. I've had two other ones in the past, and uh, it's just a breed that is, is so intriguing to me. They're kind of like cats, and, you know, my boyfriend has never been a dog person, He's always really been a cat person until he met these dogs. And now all of a sudden he loves dogs. But it's because of the cat quality in them. They're so, they're, they're a little aloof and they're real independent, but they're, you know, just kind of quiet and they are attached to you, but they're also independent. They're, they're interesting, really great dogs. You have a couple too, don't you? I do, but couldn't be more different to yours, Heather. Um, by the way, what's the name of your dogs? No, I know you've told me what, you have to tell him. Yeah, my four-year-old. He's the oldest. His name is Reflex. Um, he goes by Flex for short. And then my youngest one, I just got him for Christmas last year. So, um, and his name is Remy, like the little rat in that that Pixar movie <laughs> Ratatouille. <laughs> the main character was Remy, and that's his name. And it's just, uh, it's it really fits his personality. He's a little mischievous and always having fun, and just cuddly and squishy and wonderful. So he's, they're two great dogs, Reflex and Remy. Reflex a moment. Now, did you get them from the States? Did you take them over there with you? I did. I, well, one, I brought uh, Reflex with me. He was born somewhere near Atlanta, Georgia, and he's um, really bred as a, as a racing dog. They lure course whippets. It's not for, like, uh, bedding situations like they do greyhounds, but they, they for, for fun and leisure, they lure course them, and he's really bred for that. So he's quite fast. And the other one I have, Remy, is um, a lot more bred for the show ring. He's very beautiful with his coloring and his um, confirmation. He's like a show dog. And he's also fast, but he has to struggle to keep up with Flex. He was born here in Denmark, and we got him, um, what was it, a year and a half? Gosh, going on two years ago. Boy, they grow up. He's uh, got him here from Denmark. So he's a, he's a Viking, and the other one's a, a southern U.S. dog. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because Remy can handle the cold so much more than Flex can. Isn't that funny? Yeah. 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 Well, mine is just a very different. You've got two boys. I've got two girls, uh, Kerry and Shannon. Kerry's going to be nine next month, and Shannon will be five in September. Uh, mother and daughter. I actually imported Kerry from Ireland um, right after the Sydney Olympics, as a matter of fact. A friend of mine who was an Irish journalist, I was working with her down in Sydney, and I said, when you get home, could you look out for an Irish black and tan puppy for me? I want a bitch. And within a few weeks, she found one. So I imported Kerry, and then uh, almost five years ago, I bred her to Bruce Davidson's dogs. He has Irish Black and Tan Terriers, has, ha- has had for a while, or imported from Ireland. Uh, and uh, listeners will know Bruce Davidson is one of our leading event riders here, been uh, eventing on the international scene for many, many years, and will, is well known for his love of dogs as much as his uh, horses. And he has a super dog that I bred Kerry to, and she had four puppies, two boys, two girls, and uh, the idea was to keep a girl... So I have mother and daughter, and they're 
very small. They're like 12 pounds soaking wet. But talk about hunters. You, you mentioned how yours would sight hunt. These two have got amazing noses. And Shannon will spend forever out in the yard just mole hunting and very successfully keeping on top of the moles around here and rabbits. I, I try and encourage them to chase only things that are smaller than them, but, you know, they're, they're fearless. They'll go after a possum, a coon, a, you know, they'll, a skunk. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how big they are, do they? They just go for it. If it's, if it's moving, they'll go for it. <laughs> Isn't that right? You know, they, I always say they're small dogs with a big attitude. What if they go for a goat? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tried that, but yours would probably bring down a goat in a heartbeat. Well, they'd certainly bark at it a lot. They would go and sniff it and say they'd bark at it and tell it that it, that it was a funny-looking animal. And then they would see if it runs. And if it runs, they'll say the race is on and they would, they would race it. That's funny. <laughs> it's well, funny. I know. We all love our dogs to bit. So, um, yeah, that's our, that's our dog story for the week. And we've got a few <laughs> items of news here, Heather, uh, from, mainly from Europe. In fact, uh, all, almost all from Europe. And the first story... Um, is really the ongoing saga about Isabel Werth's suspension. Uh, it, it's uh, becoming quite divisive in the sport, this, uh, Heather. There's a lot of diversity of opinion as to how this is being handled. And recently, the former German chef to keep Martin Rickenhagen was interviewed by the German magazine Spiegel about the doping case. Um, and he feels that that any suspension would be a disaster for the sport um, and that there should be a special consideration because Isabel is one of the most successful dressage riders of all times and that uh, I don't think anyone would argue against that, um, but that she has uh, been uh, in this, she'd been put in this position by a mistake that her vet made and and Rickenhagen feels that there should be a special rule um, allowing for that consideration and that those two points really um, but it's very interesting that he also feels that the German Federation since they are an association of riders at the moment they they look as if they are working against the riders and uh, um, forgotten what, uh, what what has happened in their own past as riders what they did to their own horses so he speaks out quite strongly um, about the way the German Federation is handling this case um, and feels that uh, there should be more special consideration for Isabel. So I know that she is uh, going up before the FEI this week as we record the show. So I'm sure this is not the end of this story by any means, but it's interesting how it is splitting opinion there in Europe, Heather. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a little hard for me to get my, my head around the whole thing and why it is such a split. And, you know, I also agree with, um, what Martin has said, and um, th- if there could be some kind of special consideration, but boy, wouldn't that get to be a sticky thing to ha- to accomplish? I mean, how how do you go about that, and you know, how do you deal with um, what's happening, you know, all the precedents and the what would happen afterwards? It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Yes, it 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 is, and uh, you know, when he when he asked if. Uh, the German Federation is doing this the hard way because of public pressure. Um, his response was that to that was that uh, they need interna- unified international rules. And uh, you know, I know there was some uh, um, difference of opinion as to the time that that particular medication would have cleared the system. Um, the advice that was given in Europe, as opposed to the advice that came from the U.S. So, 
uh, you know, as, uh, as we've said, it's going to be an ongoing story here and uh, hopefully will be a happy outcome for everyone. But uh, people are mm-hmm. uh, jumping on this um, from all directions and from other sports too. So... Where we well, if the result of it is that if the resulting thing is that there's a unification in understanding of all drugs and all regulations and all things, I think that would just be the best thing that could come out of all of this, wouldn't it? I, I think so too, um, because as as Martin says, you know, it, it looks as if the Germans are on their own with the uh, very firm approach that they are taking. Um, so. Yeah, I think some unification there has got to be a good thing. You know, it is an international sport with international rules, and so uh, hopefully that will come out of this. Um, anyway, another yeah. story from 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 Europe uh, involves Anki. She's just announced that her title sponsors, IPS Horse Group, um, have parted ways. They've been sponsoring her now for four years. Uh, so uh, the end of that sponsorship is nigh, except that she will have IPS Painted Black uh, continuing to be sponsored by them because he's owned by members of that IPS group. But uh, that was a sponsorship that also invested in some horses, mainly some stallions, and they also sponsored Hans-Peter Minderhund. Uh, So uh, an interesting parting of the ways there. Sponsorship doesn't last forever, does it, Heather? Well, doesn't seem so. A lot of cases, I think they do. They do fall short of um, five years, and four years seems like to me seems like well, that was a long time. <laughs> Maybe some do last longer. I hear of it every now and then, but I think that's a uh, it's a hard thing to make happen. Well, a good story. Good story for Courtney King Dye um, over here in the states. You know the uh, American rider. Uh, she's got the ride on Don Principe, the stallion that was ridden by. Um, uh, Jim Cofford of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, they took over the ride. Uh, the of the ten-year-old Hanoverian is a Donahall stallion out of uh, Prince Thatch, uh, and they changed changed that ownership, that uh, riding partnership just this past week. So, uh, a, a great catch for Courtney, and I know she'll be vying for a place on the U.S. team for next year's World Equestrian Games. I believe that uh, Jim just didn't have the time to commit any longer, and uh, so they were looking for a new rider. They they picked up quite a few ribbons when they were in partnership, including the 2008 Bent Lundqvist Memorial Championship. So um, a, a very successful partnership that they had. But uh, I think uh, Jim is doing other things now. And uh, I, they they all met, apparently, uh, at a clinic. Um, in, in, and that's how uh, this partnership came about. <clears throat> and they thought of Courtney as, as the next rider for this horse. So good luck for Courtney. Courtney, and we are trying to get her on the show. She's a very busy lady, but we are hoping to get her on the show here in the next week or two. So stay tuned for that. And another story from um, the U.S. comes from uh, from the West Coast. Some celebration uh, went on last week, uh, last weekend, Heather, for Ravel. You know, Stefan had such a wonderful time in uh, in Arkin winning all the classes, complete clean sweep. Well, they thought that was enough excuse there for a really good party. So back in his home in San Diego, they had a big old party for 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 Ravel. They had about eighty guests and a barbecue and celebration for him. Uh, but what a wonderful thing to do just for the horse, don't you think? Well, yeah. There's barely a better reason around to throw a party. <laughs> you don't need too much of a reason for me to throw one. <laughs> that's a really good reason to throw one. I wish I could have been there. I bet that was a real fun time. And, oh, and congratulations again to them. That's just so so proud of them. Just a 
Yeah. Yeah. Really proud to be an American here in Europe now. <laughs> Always have been, but now even more so. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we again, we're hoping to get um, Stefan and Shannon uh, on the show in the next few weeks, um, but they were very busy tied up getting ready for this party. Um, so it sounds like they uh, put on a big old bash there, but um, hopefully they'll be able to come on the show here shortly and it'll be fun to hear from them because uh, they're really on a high right now. And uh, I, b- I believe they're going to be conserving Ravel now for a little while. He's not going to be doing much. He's going to be saved until the fall and, and uh, all eyes are focusing, of course, on his place on the team for the World Equestrian Games next year. Um, so, you know, you really would want to wrap up some, a horse like that, wouldn't you? Just conserve him. I, I don't know how you wrap them up and, and, and protect them against all evil, you know? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good point. And I thought about maybe, you know, talking about that on one of my horse tips because um, as soon as you start doing that, then you, you can really run into problems. That's a real kind of, you know, a catch-22. If you wrap them up too much, you make them weaker. And if you don't wrap them up enough, then they get injured. So that's a really tough thing to find just the right fine line, you know. So I don't envy him in that department. Just the worry combined with keeping it real, not not overstressing. And that's a tough thing to do. And and the question comes out of this, Heather, and I, and I noticed it particularly with dressage horses. You know, they don't get turned. I mean, a vent horse or a jumper, you know, might have some boots put on him and he'd be turned out in the paddock. But not so much with dressage horses. There's more concern of them just knocking themselves, even if you wrap them up. But what, what what are your thoughts on that? Do you let horses be horses and turn them out in a paddock? Um, I feel really strongly about that. I do. I, I do turn my horses out. And, you know, assuming that it's not going to shock them or it's, it's new in their routine, let's say if, if I got a horse that's already 10 and it already had a pattern in its life of not being turned out, I wouldn't just throw them out. But when I raise my own horses, they are born and raised in the pasture. You know, they come into the stall as little as possible. And uh, I keep them going out as long in their life as I possibly can to keep them having a horse life. If they like it, you know, some, some of them don't. If they're panicking or miserable outside, I definitely bring them in. But if they handle it and they like pasture, if they run around, I, I feel like the more normal you keep them like normal horses, the longer they live, the better their legs, the less fragile they get. So, and I, I, don't, I don't like to think that if my horse has to you know, devote his life to me, that I can't devote my life to him also and let him have as much of a normal life as possible. And if I had to do otherwise, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't feel so great about it. But, you know, there can become so much money involved, invested, and at risk – uh, is lo- you know, as far as losing one or just getting one out of competition even for half a year it's it's a financial concern for a lot of people and I understand protecting them but then you know there's there's problems that come from when you overprotect them and their lives get less and less what nature intended then other problems come in not just ligaments and tendons but intestines and hearts and eyes and it's a it's a tough call, but I do turn mine out. I feel I feel strongly about that. I like to have horses in, in a horse life um, in my training program. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I must say, I you know I like them to be outdoors as you know in, in a natural environment as much as possible. Not not least of all um, for their mental state. You know, I think you know to keep them in a twelve by twelve, twelve by fourteen space for an extended period. That, you know, you see all kinds of problems that can come out of that from boredom. Uh, with some horses, it can, you know, d- you know, turn into all kinds of vices that 
sometimes impossible to to cure but I, so i think it's psychologically it's 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 a good thing for a horse and i'm all about it i would turn a horse out for as for as long as i long as i can no matter what level of fitness he's at because i just think mm. it's uh, it's just so good for them but you know i take your point you know there are horses that can fall around and you know and hurt themselves you've got a lot of money invested so it's a tough it's a tough call but uh you know when you something like Ravel, you know with so much potential so much potential you know getting to the height of his game here and you know a, a gold medal horse basically i mean he's hey you know he's he's as good as it gets isn't he Mm. and that you've got to be so concerned and doing the right thing you know you really have got to have owners when you have in that situation owners that are absolutely with you and uh, <laughs> it's, yes it's that, you have to have the whole thing yeah it's really tough they do it's a balancing act but uh, anyway i'm sure the peters are you know terrific with their horses and they'll do the best thing for that horse and we're really excited about seeing them coming out again in the fall and we're also looking forward to hearing what's happening with paragon and i know how how much you look after your ponies heather what's been happening with him well um uh, along with him going out in his pasture every single day (laughs) (laughs) which he does he's out all morning every day and he stays out in the rain he stays out if it's muddy he stays out and he rolls around and he 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 loves it out there um so you know uh Along with that going on, he's uh, coming back into kind of a stronger phase in his in his working uh, these days because I had had some time off and I had been doing a little hacking and kind of lowering the pressure in his training. And now it's time to kind of find out where the next level is for him and me. And I'm really happy with how uh, we're communicating right now. You know, sometimes training can get a little unclear. You can be a little bit unsure about amounts that you should push or time that you should spend on things or importance of certain ingredients and you know you hit phases where it gets a little unclear cloudy not quite sure and then other times when it's just crystal clear and just right on and and have to say we're in one of those phases and it's been a couple of weeks of that so you know one ride on him like that and the rest of the world could fall apart and i'd still be a happy woman (laughs) (laughs) so um that's you know you asked me how i'm doing it has a lot to do with that It, it it's um it's gone really great between the two of us we are just completely on the same exact millisecond with each other right now and it is fantastic and so then that's a nice um, a nice time or a nice phase in training when I feel like I can ask a few more questions and sort of build up a few more combinations of, um, of things in him that he maybe uh, some, some new territory. And I have to say he's, he's, his personality or his take on new challenges is, um, is really changing how he processes new information. And he's been the kind of horse, he's real, real tolerant. You know, he, he stands for anything that he has to endure, if it's a shot or a, a failure or, you know, anything that's uncomfortable or something. He, he's very tolerant. But when it comes to him coordinating his, he, he's really big and rangy and there's a lot of real estate there to put together um so when he has when it comes to him kind of organizing things and and getting on a narrower balance beam so to speak he can get you know kind of just put his foot down and say i don't want to do this i'm not interested (laughs) but um and i love that part of him because he's he tells me he's got an opinion and that's great um, but now it's sort of like he's getting strong enough and he's getting really good at puzzle solving now. So um, he takes on getting into new territory in, in a whole different mindset that he really tries to figure things out without, say, without having to say first, no, I don't want to play. 
So I'm really happy about that. I feel like he's he's aged mentally aged a lot in the past few months, and um, you know that has to happen. The work ethic and understanding about you know their their job to come out and do some puzzle solving, um, they have to get to that point where they realize that. And now I think he really enjoys um, challenges, and you know so therefore he's he's a real laid back horse. Um, so I have to find ways to inspire him to be energetic and a little bit hot. And I've I've really discovered some like a little pocket of energy in him um, the past couple of days, and I'm very excited about that because he's so laid back and easygoing. But when I tap into it, a little reserve, he is he is very much horse in a great way. So he's been we've been just discovering a lot about each other this week, and I think we're both pretty darn happy about it. <laughs> Well, as you say, with that maturity comes confidence and him knowing his job now. So that, that's got to be a nice place. You, you have this wonderful understanding with him. I was going to ask you, Heather, when you get on your horse in the morning, what, what, how, what do you do before you actually start working with them? Are you one of these people that goes on a little hack before you go into the arena? Do you just trot around on a long rein and just not touch them for 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever? How do you – are you one of these people that – immediately has a connection, albeit in a light connection, and then starts to ask more, and but always in an, an arena. What, what's your typical approach? And I guess all horses are different, of course, but do you have kind of a, a habit that you like to introduce them to their daily routine? Um, well, I, I would say I would say that I do. I think, you know, I have to think about it because it's not really conscious um, thing in my mind. You're, you're right that all horses are very different. And um, uh, a mare I trained for a number of years, Arabella, for instance, a long rein at the walk would just turn into a faster walk and then a trot and then a canter and then she'd be <laughs> going full blast. So didn't spend a whole lot of time on a long rein with her. I would just get on and with a long connection in the walk, maybe just ask her to walk slowly for 10, maybe 10 minutes. I think an ideal situation is a horse that just calmly walks around the ring, um, calmly, but, you know, briskly walks around the ring until the heart rate gets going a little bit and the legs get warmed up um, without taking any contact or making anything happen at all. Um, that's my favorite or, or even more favorite than that is if I had a, a treadmill of my own, <laughs> then I really like treadmills to have them go a little walking and then the treadmill can go uphill and work some of those muscles and then tack up and ride. I think that's um, great. So the horse has a chance to just physically warm up before the mental part has to start. Because when I start with any kind of contact, I think mentally horses don't need a warm up. I think they can come right out of the box and be responsive to you and listening. doesn't mean they have to work hard, but mentally I don't think they need a warm up. So when I start to take up the aids, I do want the horse to immediately be with me mentally as quickly as I can. You know, it doesn't always happen. Paragon's about a 20-minute mental warm-up. Um, all horses are different. Um, Otto was a one-second mental warm-up um, for me. So they're all different. But, you know, ideal would just be, I think, a nice long walk hack outside if the weather's great and if you've got good footing out there, even better. And the same afterwards, you know, after the work is done, then cool out can just be... Even if I've just finished with some Piaf Passage, I can just drop the rain and just take a long walk. Um, so that's a good question. And it does definitely, you know, it's tailor-made to each horse. And, um, you know, nothing really out-of-the-box thinking on, on that. Just a, an easy warm-up and an easy cool-down. And then however many days they can work hard in between, um, hard work in between. Well, interesting. Well, thanks, Heather. 
Well, we're going to take a short break here before we get to our guest, Marlene Whitaker. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Well, for weeks now on the Dressage Radio Show, we've been talking about equestrian life. Equestrian Life is a title sponsor for the Dressage Radio Show, and we've been encouraging you to stop over and check it out. Have you done that yet? Just go over to equestrianlife.com, their official social community of the Horse Radio Network and one of the fastest-growing horse communities on the Internet. It is truly the Facebook for horse people. You track your, your friends and their horses and the shows they were at and how they did and all of their equestrian activities. Equestrian life is designed for horse people. It's different from Facebook in that way, in that it has all that you will need to follow you, your horses, and your friends right there at Equestrian Life. Plus, they have a pile of expert high-definition videos, and they do live event coverage. There's just so much over there that you have to stop and check it out for yourself. This is a community designed by horse people for horse people and is filled with educational and entertaining video and audio all about our horses. So ride on over to Equestrian Life today. Sign up for free and tell all of your friends. If you love horses, Equestrian Life is the place to be at equestrianlife.com. Well, we're coming to our first guest, our only guest of the show this week, um, Heather Marlene Whitaker, well known to you. Tell us what you know about Marlene. You've been working with her for a little while. I have. Um, she has helped me with, I think, about four freestyles, a couple in the pre-St. George Intermediaire uh, level and then two or three in the Grand Prix level. And uh, she's just uh, so, she has so many things that she knows about. I think she has her own history or past is in dance of her own so she has a lot of knowledge and experience with um, music and choreography not even um, connected with horses and then she has also brought in her knowledge of horses and musical freestyle and what judges are looking for of course and um, really up on the trends of things and um, so she has a great combination of knowledge and um, I've been so, just so happy with what she comes has come up with, and and she's also very great to work with because if you're not happy as she is, then she very easily will change track and and really listen to what your um, likes and dislikes are, and just really easy to work with. And I think she's got a pretty good reputation of making her clients really happy, and also of her freestyles being quite liked by the judges, and we all need that. So. Um, we'll listen in and see what she has to say. Well, Marlene Whitaker, welcome to the Dressage Radio Show, and thank you so much for joining us. I know you're a very busy lady. A lot of uh, our riders will know you for the work you do with choreographing freestyle music. Marlene, tell us a little bit about where you come from and how you got into doing this. All right. Well, thank you, first of all, Chris, for having me. This is fun for me also. I I have a lifelong history of of music experiences and training in, in many formats. So, But I came to this actually as a rider and uh, switched from hunters into dressage 20 years ago and was did a freestyle before it was a required part of the format and was quite surprised to win the USDF Horse of the Year. Spent that year looking over my shoulder wondering where the real people were that ought to be doing this, that I was just a North Carolina housewife. But from that point, Jessica Ranshausen 
whom was a mentor of mine and is a still a mentor, saw my freestyle, said to me, uh, if she ever had to do one, would I do one for her? I was quite flattered, but really didn't think she meant it, but she did. She knew that in 96, the freestyle had to be a required part of the Olympic format. She had a horse that she was um, directing toward that, and so I did her music. I told her I wasn't sure I could do it, but that I would do it at cost, and if it didn't work out, there would be no hard feelings, and if she liked it, um, that would be a good thing. So she did win the freestyle when she wrote it, and she was very happy, and people started asking her, where did you get your music? And that's how my second career started, because at that point, I was a retired first grade teacher, and then started using my music education and never intended to have a business, but word of mouth kept up and I kept being motivated purely to see what was the very best job I could do for each horse rider combination that came to me and and the rest is history. And so being a a teacher, does that mean that you were exposed to music from a very early age and had a sense of writing music, uh, Marlene? Yes, I I did, performed for the first time in, in public when I was three years old, standing on a box that collapsed in the middle of my song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was the, I didn't know that I had any gift because I think it's quite true of people that are musical, you're born with it. And you don't know that everyone else doesn't have, it, it just... It, isn't able to do it as easily as perhaps you are. So I, I play multiple instruments. I've performed on stage, and everyone was surprised that when I went to college, I didn't major in music, but I minored in it, and grateful to have done that. Uh, were I doing it over again, I would major in it and spend a lot more time in composition classes <laughs> because the nature of the cur evolves, and today I have... Um, uh, and I have, from the beginning, done small amounts of writing, and that uh, need increases all the time. And so I'm I'm continuing to learn as I go. And you've worked, of course, with many top riders in the sport. You know, from Jan Bruns, Robert Dover, uh, um, Reese Koffler, of course, is is a regular guest on the show here. And my co-host, Heather Blitz, and, and yes. I know those partnerships are, are all very special to you, and, I, and, and I'm sure you feel blessed to be working with these top riders. Marlene, explain to us, if you would, what, where do you start when a rider comes to you and says, I need a piece for my horse? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you start with that? Well, first, I interview the rider and try to get a sense of what their vision is because I see myself as a vehicle for them and my job is to make their vision and their sense of what they want a reality. Then we go directly to the horse. I like to have a video of the horse in competition and I can study his presence and his way of movement and his tempos and take a lot of statistical information. Then we... I like to say I take this horse shopping. If you and I went dress shopping, we would go to the right size. We would sort through and take back to the dressing room those dresses that we liked and maybe a few that we were questionable about. In the dressing room, you put on your favorite dress and you go, ugh. Then you put on the one that 
you thought maybe would be all right, and it just comes alive. My experience with horses and music is the same phenomena happens, and and so I try to stay very open to the possibilities of what kind of music would be best for them. But I am looking for the genre and for the groove, the rhythmic groove that makes this horse come alive. I, the input from the rider is in, invaluable. When a rider tells me, I hate classical music, I, but I love country. Well, I will honor their thought process first by trying to find the groove I want for this horse, but looking in the genre that they would like it to be. If I can make it happen there, that's wonderful. If I can't make it there, then we all move on to finding that music which makes the horse come alive. And I do believe the music selection is the most difficult and most time-consuming part of the process. And when you make that selection, you know, we, 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 we all know how it enhances a, a ride, a partnership, the, it develops an atmosphere, it mm-hmm. gets the crowd going, and mm-hmm. there are so many components to it, as you've just described. And so what, do you, what would you say makes one work better than the other? And is it, ter- is it about the tempo? Because sometimes, you know, with, with, especially with European riders, we hear mm-hmm. maybe music that could be not so light, a little bit darker. Maybe mm-hmm. it suits mm-hmm. the horse. But mm-hmm. at the same time, isn't there a chance it actually turns off the audience and the judges? It is so subjective when you start evaluating music. Uh, It can't be about what I like to think it is not about what we personally like or dislike, but rather what does suit the horse. And my experience is that our judges, who have a very uh, full plate of things to look and evaluate when they are judging, I think our judges do a very admirable job of allowing riders to express themselves musically as long as the music meets the judging criteria. Um, I have never in the nearly 20 years, or, or maybe only one time, had a judge say to someone, I don't like your music, but perhaps that person still won the class. So, um, it, it's it's such a multifaceted question to answer. I think the horse... The music is going to sound the best and be most effective when it is presented by a quality horse and a very talented rider. We very often focus on the music, but I think what wins the program is the horse and the harmony that the rider is able to develop with the horse and with the music. And the greater level of harmony that you get, the better the tempo match, the better the style of the music. When all the, all the stars line up and all of these things are perfect, that's the magic. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's the magic of the cur. But I would never, ever say it is the music that wins. I believe we need to take our hats off to these wonderful horses and riders. They win the class for us, and they make the music look and sound better. And when you're looking at a a test for that particular horse, Marlene, I guess one of the most challenging parts of that is to transition through the gates. Mm-hmm. And and to and for that ride to be seamless while yes. changing the tempo, 
Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we hear that it just is such a sudden change that you think, oh, gosh, d- did that fit? The transitions for the horse and rider tell a lot about the quality of that performance, and the transitions in the music tell a lot about the sophistication of the editing. They ha- the transitions from song to song have to make sense, and there are often very severe tempo changes when a horse goes from trot to passage, and this is a gait transition that riders like to make. That particular transition can be a change in tempo from 150 beats per minute down to 108. That's a bit like a beginning driver not able to use the clutch very well. It can be very lurchy and jerky. So, yes, those are musically challenging to do, and that's part of the job. And when a rider comes to you, you obviously you, you assess the horse and the rider and their choice of music, and I'm sure that you know the level of, of competition. What advice do you give to a rider um, that is, maybe this is their first musical cur? What, what, what would you tell them? I would say that I would want them to have read the rules and to understand clearly the artistic components. The one that is most often misunderstood is degree of difficulty. And first time freestylists often see that and try to make their ride hard. I think our judges, I'm told our judges are happiest when what is presented is presented well and riders will make their ride hard. Sometimes harder than they can execute. Harder isn't better unless you can perform it brilliantly. So the game in freestyle is to understand your strengths and show them. Understand your weaknesses and not overface yourself. To develop a choreographic pattern that you can perform with as much technical integrity as possible. And the judges reward that heavily. The horse with the with the best technical execution is very likely to win the freestyle. Yes, interesting. Well, I have to ask you also, what, one of the technical questions that we hear is about musical uh, music clearance and rights clearance for music. Yes. Again, what advice would you give to, to riders who are coming to this for the first time about clearing the rights and whose responsibility that is? And mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, if, the, if that test was, if that competition was going to be broadcast on TV or the Internet mm-hmm. now, um, mm-hmm. what, what advice would you give them? I would say that if they only show their cur in the United States at recognized shows, uh, USDF, USEF, um, our national organizations have a contract with ASCAP and BMI that covers performances in recognized shows. Now, for people like me that create them, I am creating a derivative work, and so I personally a right for permission, but copyright fees are based on the number of copies you make and how big your audiences are. And for the most part, our audiences are very small, and we generally are making only one copy. So my copyright fees are minimal, and very often I will have, I'll get the response back giving me gratis approval to use 36 seconds of this song for a walk and so forth. It takes more time to write the letters. Uh, than it does really to 
to write the check. My recommendation to writers, though, to answer your question, is that if they are performing at recognized shows, they are all right. If they go to uh, a show outside of the United States, a major international event, those events like the Olympics, the World Cup, generally have something called a general venue license. And the rider, I give all of my riders a sheet that gives them all the information for where their music comes from, and they submit that to in these big competitions, and that is taken care of for them. Um, to answer your question about YouTube and the Internet, I quite honestly don't know. I have never myself put music up on the Internet. So I'm, that's a good question for me to find out. Well, it, it's interesting, and I, I, I suppose another question, I guess, for, for riders who maybe, you know, are, are coming into against the game for the first time, would, uh, when they are preparing um, a new horse for, to ride to music, mm-hmm. what kind of time frame does it take, uh, Marlene, to, to get from start to finish? I know you probably have remixes, you have all kinds of editing along the way. How long should they allow before that would be ready for performance? Three months is not... Uh, too much time and the very best curves evolve over many months you hear the story that Anki when she won her gold medal on Solinero at the last Olympics that August between January and August she was on her eighth edit that's the story of the evolution of a quality cur. Also, when you have a young horse, you have more edits because they're changing. Once your horse is confirmed, you can often get a freestyle that will hold for some time. Interesting. Well, I have to ask you one question about what what we're seeing creeping into the freestyle now. And sometimes I think it's fun. Sometimes it can be an intrusion. And uh, I first was mindful of it with um, um, Elvis's... uh, um, uh, freestyle in at the Aachen show uh, so I think it was 2006 uh, the year mm-hmm. of the games but that spring show um, is the introduction of lyrics what's your opinion on that I think one has to be very careful and I differentiate between a lyric and a vocal expression sometimes the voice can be used as an instrument and when done so it is acceptable at any time. But when lyrics enter so that the audience begins to pay more attention to what is being said than the horse, you are losing the game. Um, I still believe the horse must be the focal point of the competition. So if you can use a little bit of expression, a comment, Robert Dover did, that's all folks at the end. Brentina did R-E-S-P-E-C-T during her final Piaf pirouette. You know, a Piaf pirouette as a judging, from a judging standpoint, is not a judged movement. It is only an interesting choreographic element. So um, at that point, you have an interesting thing going on with the vocal expression and this interesting movement near the end of her ride. Those kinds of things, I think, add to the artistic development of the piece. But one has to be very careful. Sometimes you hear rides where they have tried to use vocal expression and it becomes disjointed. It's not meaningful. It doesn't tell a story. So I would say beware 
it's it's available to you, but be there, beware. Interesting. Well, the whole process is not only creative, but it's fascinating. You're combining performance and entertainment and the technical aspect of, of the horse's test, which is fundamental, as you say. That's where the focus should be. I think it, it must be a very satisfying occupation that you have there. A lot of fun, Marlene. I love my horse rider combinations. I the old first grade school teacher in me sees them <laughs> sees them as my pupils, though I obviously am not doing any teaching of these people. Uh, but I try to I try to be the support person, the person on their team that helps them achieve their goal. And long after the work is done, I'm following them like a grandmother. I enjoy that very much. <laughs> well, I'm sure you do. It all comes down to the performance in the end. Well, we really appreciate you spending time with us today, Marlene. It's been fascinating insight. I know we will have a link on our website to your contact information. So hopefully people will pay attention to the choreographed um, performances that you were involved with and uh, what you have your fingerprints on, Marlene. We wish you the very best of luck with all the fabulous riders that you work with. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Well, that was very insightful, wasn't it, Heather? And she really has such experience. And as you said before, uh, her interview, you mentioned how she has the combination of those skills. She has a horsey background, and we heard there that she actually started off in hunter-jumpers. Plus, she has that musical and the teaching background as well. So, you know, terrific creative talent there. And uh, what a wonderful insight into what... uh, what it entails to put a freestyle together and uh, you know it's a it's a process and a lengthy process too I, I hadn't realized it would take like three months to just absolutely get it right so I think good messages there for people that are thinking of doing a first their first freestyle and uh, hopefully you will uh, call on Marlene although she I think she's got her plate full right now um, she'd be wonderful to uh, to have behind you creating that first freestyle so thanks again to Marlene for joining us well, we're going to take a short break now, and when we're going to come, we come back, we're going to, to uh, listen to your training tip of the week, Heather. Well, Chris and Heather, it's time again to talk about our friends at Kentucky Performance Products. You know, I've been talking about them for a long time. They were one of our first sponsors on the Horse Radio Network, and we certainly appreciate all they do for us and all they do for your horses. You know, you can trust Kentucky Performance Products to give you the most value for your money. They offer supplements designed to target specific problems, are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels. I can say that they know what they're talking about. I had lunch with them the other day, and I was very impressed with everything that we talked about. You know, each product is backed by sound research and a money-back satisfaction guarantee. This week, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about Endure Extra. Endure Extra is a high-fat, low-carb energy source recommended by veterinarians and leading horsemen. It maintains optimal energy levels in your hard-working dressage horses and increases weight gain in your poor doers. More than just a fat supplement, Endure Extra also provides other benefits, such as a much-needed natural vitamin E and gut conditioners. Best of all, you can feed as little as 8 ounces per day. And the cool calories produced by Endure Extra's proprietary blend of fats keeps horses calm and focused as they work. You can learn more about Endure Extra at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. All right. Well, thanks again to our sponsors. We really appreciate their support. The show wouldn't be possible without them. And, uh, we also look forward to our weekly trainer tip of the week. What have you got for this this week, Heather? 
Well, I was thinking because of how uh, Paragon has been sort of inspiring me, um, and I talked about him earlier in the show, uh, in, the, in the diary section, um, just about uh, a lot of people have questions on how to keep your horse from getting ring sour or from them getting bored in the work, you know, how to keep them fresh and interested. And it is a really good question, and it is not, you know, just straightforward easy on how to um, how to keep them in a good mental and physical place throughout um, their training routines. And, you know, some of the obvious answers can be, of course, that you go out in the forest or down the road and uh, up and down hills out of the arena where the stress isn't on to do hard work. Um, you know, schooling them maybe down the road in another person's arena. Um, of course, shows are also a way to get a horse's, um, you know, freshen their environment and keep them interested. Um, some things like, if you, of course, if you have a horse that does both dressage and jumping, you can take them out and jump or do some cavaletti work. Um, another idea that I use is I do long line quite a bit and I drive the horses with a sir single over the saddle and double lunge lines. And I do a lot of that. Of course, it takes a lot of skill and experience. So you have to be, you know, able to do that. But um, that sort of breaks up the routine in some obvious ways. But I think also in some less obvious ways, even when you're in your everyday arena, in your your training routine, um, just to think about how every time you, every day you ride, um, think about how you could be challenging your horse to have to learn something every single day. And I think many riders can go around and do what they've always done and they can have the horse do what what the horse has always done. And um, they can kind of get stuck in, in ruts as far as not introducing new things. And, you know, new things can be uh, anything from maybe just thinking about how quickly your horse answers you. If you add an aid, what's the amount of time between the aid and when the horse gives you the answer, that's an example. Or combining different aspects of what you're looking for. If you want um, the horse to be reactive and really forward, but then you want to make a sort of a collecting half halt and be able to make a you know a, a volte and then maybe a half pass. You can combine um, some different movements together, or some, just some different aspects of balance and reactivity together, or just doing something each day that challenges the horse to get a little bit in some new territory, some new ground that they haven't quite had to do before. And and it should all be within their reach, you know, something that's a little bit new and a little bit challenging and, and something they have to struggle just a little bit to figure out and to think that, you know, what's happening in their brain when they're, when they're working around, are they riding around saying, okay, we do this and we do this and we do this. Or are they thinking, okay, what's this new thing, and and how do I figure it out? And there are consequences for you know whether I try to do it or not. And if they're if they're really eagerly trying to figure things out, I think that keeps horses a lot more interested in being worked um, daily. Some horses get ridden seven days a week, and they should. But so so you have to stay just creative and and thinking about. Are they challenged? Are they pleased with themselves at the end of the ride, thinking that they figured it out and they felt good about that and they can go back to their stall and kind of think overnight about how they're going to do it the next day? And, and I think that they can get really mental and really into it, whether you go out of the arena or not. And that's just a little less obvious kind of way to think about how to keep them from getting bored um, than some of the more obvious things, although those are smart to do too. So um, that just kind of popped into my head 
um, earlier today when I was writing Paragon, thinking this would be a good thing to talk about today for the training tip. So I hope that helps you and, and your horses to stay fresh and eager and happy about all the hard work. Well, as you say, Heather, it's all about keeping them fresh, right? Yeah, and you know they, they've got a lot to work on, and it's 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 difficult in a lot of ways, but they have to like it, and the freshness really helps. <laughs> really helps. Well, I was uh, what you what caught my attention there um, was that you mentioned the the long reining, and it's something that I've been a great advocate of long reining. I absolutely love it. I think it's just such a, a wonderful tool. As you say, you have to be skilled. You have to really have the experience to to handle long reining correctly, and we should make that. Uh, you know, get, make that point that it's really important that you you know what you're doing. But once you've learnt that skill, it's a ter- terrific asset. I remember bringing on young horses. You know, before I ever got on their back, I would long rein them for miles and miles around the English country roads, and you know that you establish the the brakes and the steering before you ever got on their back. You know, and you gave them confidence because they're going in front of you. You know, not always That's relying right. on you along to be alongside them. That's right. It's a, it's a whole different way to, for them to approach it. And it's also a great way to watch your horse while you're also training them. But yes. it, it does take a huge amount of skill. Things can go wrong fast. Yes, they can. And, um, yeah, and, and things can go right really fast. And even if it's just a small thing, if you just give them a little bit the wrong idea, you will instill that very quickly. Um, but also dangerous things can go wrong fast. So you just really have to be with uh, experienced hands and with an you know, experienced uh, helper if you're just starting out in it. But it's just such a super addition to, I think, you know, training for any, any sport that horses are being used for. Okay. It's a really great tool. It really is a great tool. And I used to say I'd wear a set of shoes out before I ever got on their back, you know, because I'd walk around those country roads forever you know and teach them to you know pass anything you know a tractor you know, in, or on the farm and they'd go around those big round bales and they'd uh, you know they'd just spend hours you know negotiating things and developing the confidence because they're in front of you um, and it, it really is a wonderful tool but be careful if you don't know if you haven't had the experience to do it don't um, you know be sure that you have an experienced uh, person with you teaching you how to do that but it's a skill worth learning well thanks for that heather i appreciate your training tip as ever and i know that our listeners enjoy it and we're also sharing those training tips on horse radio network's other show the new daily horse tip show that uh, glenn glenn the geek um, is hosting and they're becoming very popular so we're sharing uh, heather's tips on that uh, program too well that about wraps it up for this week heather um you can uh, Listen to Horse Radio Network, uh, uh, all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. We have so many shows now, including, as I mentioned, the new Horse Tips Daily Show. And you can follow our show notes at dressageradio.com. Uh, thanks to Equestrian Life again for being our presenting sponsor and the, and the official social network of the Horse Radio Network. You can reach us as ever. Uh, Heather is on heather at horseradionetwork.com or you can email me at chris at horseradionetwork.com. We want to hear from you. We also want welcome you to our Facebook page. We have a fan page there on Facebook and Twitter. You can follow us there as ever at Horse Radio. And you can go to Heather's website at heatherblitz.info to follow Heather's blog and to watch her photography too. I know uh, you've spent a few days, as you say, with your mother, Heather, and I know you've been doing some sightseeing with her. Any fun new photos to share with us? 
Unfortunately not. I, you know, I, I had to save room in my bag for all the shopping. <laughs> so I didn't take my camera. I have a quite large camera. I couldn't, I couldn't make it take up the bag room for all the clothes that I bought. So we got some oh. great sales over there. <laughs> now the truth is out, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I got uh, some great new clothes though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks to our sponsors, before Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found at kppusa.com. And again, as I mentioned, Equestrian Life at equestrianlife.com. And next week on the show, Heather, uh, we thought Reese Coughlin. Um, uh, would like to join us because she's going to be uh, attending the uh, North America Junior Young Rider Championships, which I meant, as I mentioned, take place in the Horse Park here in Kentucky this week. Uh, we are also going to be filming for Equestrian Life. We're going to be following four riders, one from each of the disciplines, as they uh, uh, tackle their, some of them their first uh, young riders, and some are coming back. Uh, one is a defending champion, so we're following one in each of the disciplines and in, in dressage we're going to be following Alice Claiborne from Alice Carbone rather Alice is from uh, the west coast she's coming over here from region six and six and she has a very interesting story to tell so you can follow those videos on equestrianlife.com and we'll have Reese on the show next week to talk about young riders and 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 youth dressage in general Heather I thought it'd be just fun to have a chat with uh, Reese and the three of us uh, about pretty much about anything that's on our mind. So, yeah, well, I can't wait to hear from her. I, I am, haven't seen the young riders in the States for a while. I'd love to hear the report. I wish I could be there at the championships this week. Now, did you go through that program, Heather? No, I was riding. I was doing barrel racing and pole bending and Western <laughs> oh, events at this point in my life. <laughs> you got all that out of your system, right, before you I did. <laughs> <laughs> I think I must be a bit of a thrill seeker, but I got that out of my system then. So, no, I missed out on young riders, and I'm sorry about that. But um, oh. we got where I am without it, uh, so maybe uh, I was lucky. Yes. I think you did pretty well without it, yeah. Well, we'll look forward to hearing from Reese next week. So, Heather, until then... Everybody, uh, good luck and mind your riding. Mm-hmm.